Well, shit. Is there even room for me to talk about this subject, venture capital? There's a whole bunch of big body personalities out there right now, especially on uh, Twitter and uh, in these various media outlets. Uh, tons of analysts, analysts that don't even know fuck about venture capital are, are speaking on it. Laymen all over the place. Tons of different thoughts on venture capital right now. And uh, I, I've been wanting to put this out for a while, but either haven't had the energy or there's been so much noise that I was waiting for it to quiet down a bit. But I want to talk about venture capital for a little while and then give my thoughts on this idea of the macroeconomic environment, which, which I, think, I think we can give Sequoia credit for coining that term, macroeconomic environment, at least to describe what I would say is an excuse that managers at funds and uh, startups alike may cite as the reason for underperformance. As I look at a lot of the commentary, I, I, I'm going to divide it into a couple of factions. So I think like the first faction is like uh, highly successful investors. Uh, that are providing these like doomsday, extremely pessimistic scenarios, assuming that this is the only economic downturn that's ever occurred, this one that we're in currently, uh, where everyone's fucked. It's complete doomsday. Even if they're not trying to scare people, I'm sure they're playing into or exacerbating any fear that people might have as a operator of a startup or as a general partner at a fund uh, around the uncertainty that uh, this macroeconomic environment is creating. Then I think on the other side of the coin, you've got these uh, optimists uh, th that I think are, I don't know, e either naive, uh, ignorant, m misinformed, or uh, potentially they can see what's going on, but they're in denial and they're expressing their delusion. Uh, they, they're struggling to face the reality of this environment. Maybe they've lost a lot of money, or maybe this is their first time as a top manager of a firm during a downturn. Maybe they're younger. I have no idea. But the, uh, the pessimist and the optimist drive me equally insane. So I want to put that out there first. My perspective is, uh, is a little nuanced, but I I'm still deep in the technology sector. I've been for a while, but currently I'm working with a number of seed to series A startups, which are essentially early stage. Many of them have not achieve product market fit just yet, uh, but, but have great products. And now it's my job to bring those products in to the market. Some people would call it market entry. Some people would call it go to market strategy, whatever you call it. I am informing the decision-making around the scope of the market that they're targeting and then However, that market gets segmented, the approaches to reaching those prospective customers, all the way to, to bringing them through the sales cycle 
and acquiring for them their first tranche of customers, first tranche of paying customers. So, so it's really fun uh, exercise for me because I, I get to use a lot of skills that I've built up uh, installing uh, automation, uh, sales technologies, uh, uh, and, and skills that I've built up just witnessing or observing probably a couple million interactions, maybe not directly, but uh, many directly, but also through analytics. So I love the experimentation and the testing and iteration that comes with uh, acquiring that first tranche of customers. So, so I, I um, think regardless of the conditions, it's still an exciting time to be deep in the startup ecosystem. And many of the startups that I work with are in places like New York City, Chicago, and then obviously San Francisco. But I am taking calls and considering my options with founders in uh, other markets in, in Europe, in uh, on the continent of Africa, in Asia. So I have a, a lot of information coming to me right now, plus media, uh, direct conversations with general partners at a, a, a very broad array of funds from like big corporate venture capital firms all the way down to like a, a angel investor or even a small family office. Uh, so I've been, I've been sitting on my perspective for a while, uh, but, but I, I, I want to talk about venture capital and, uh, and, and, and this idea of the macroeconomic environment. Um, so I, I think, so, I think some of what I'm hearing, and again, I'm, I'm going off the top. I don't have any notes, but I think some of what I'm hearing is that um, there's people that are new to economic shifts or maybe new to making decisions in an environment that is uncertain. So I've seen a, I've seen a lot of, of these big body personalities that I mentioned make some interesting recommendations on ways to improve financials, uh, assuming that you can't fundraise, so you can't uh, acquire any type of equity investment. And, and potentially they're assuming that maybe you can't even access the debt markets, even though, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case for many of these uh, businesses, but, but I, I have to see a clearer picture of their financials, but there's a bunch of advice going around that has a, uh, a lot of assumptions inside of it. Uh, so like my personal perspective is if your product is worth a fuck, then you should be able to find a way to get it to the customers that can benefit from it the most and will pay money for it. And, and I think that dynamic exists regardless of the macroeconomic environment or regardless of uh, e any economic climate. If you have a good product, th there's people that will be able to spend money and want to spend money on your product or service, regardless of the economic climate. I, I think even in the most uh, pessimistic or optimistic conditions or the best bull market or the worst bear market, uh, there's still startups that are going to fail. 
some startups will fail just because, just because uh, the law of averages. Like maybe there's nothing that they can do to succeed in this environment. Uh, some startups will fail because uh, they make some bad decisions. I think like banking the success of a startup on like a couple of good decisions is ignorant. I, I think there's like tons of information available on like best practices for management. And, and I'm sure there's, uh, I'm certain there's a ton of rhetoric on uh, what different managers or what successful companies have done uh, to be creative and to remain competitive. Uh, even amongst uh, what some would consider impossible circumstances. So I'm, I'm actually optimistic that uh, this environment is, is a good one because we're going to trim a shitload of fat, especially the fat that came off of a lot of the uh, technology companies that went public via SPAC last year and in 2020 during the whole SPAC craze. And, uh, and then this is a good time for all the bullshitters and the fakes and, uh, the people that have been, uh, writing with shitloads of debt on their balance sheet to get out of the room. So, so if you're competitive, if you are ready to go after it, if, uh, you're ready to engage in corporate warfare, uh, I think this is a great environment to test your chops. I, I uh, and again, even if you fail in this environment, you can fail in any environment. A lot of people will end up standing uh, up their next venture once they've recovered their mental health uh, and, and whatever personal and professional losses they sustain. A lot of people will stand uh, either right back up or in the next couple of years. Uh, <clears throat> some of the startups I've talked to, they're like optimizing for not being able to do any fundraising for the next couple of years. I'd assume that those startups have a solid base of customers and have found a uh, balanced approach to achieving some kind of profitability early on. Uh, and then, yo, like what the hell is going on with all the NFT and uh, uh, digital asset people? Uh, it's funny, nobody even brought up that uh, whoever the head of uh, digital asset investment at Goldman Sachs was, nobody even commented on the fact that they got fired. I don't know if it was the macroeconomic environment uh, or if they were just making poor decisions. Uh, but it seems like there are some big challenges or headwinds ahead for uh, crypto NFTs. But, but I would separate like crypto, like pure crypto and NFTs from the idea of Web3 just because uh, like, so all the nays all the Web3 naysayers are silly to me because if you break it down and I, I had this conversation with the Buck CEO, Aaron Levy on the Twitter space back in December and, and some other top engineers and uh, technologists from the Bay Area, but my perspective on Web3 is that it is just the next iteration of web architecture, right? So uh, web architecture without uh, trying to map it out has uh, 
you know, a, a limited number of uh, uh, capabilities based on, you know, c- combinations of, uh, you know, uh, various tools and systems. So if you have Web1 and it has X capabilities and you can combine the different tools and systems in Web1 and you can create a website, for example, then in Web2, maybe you have a, a, a new set of tools, systems inside of Web2 architecture. Maybe that's what gave rise to Amazon Web Services or like endlessly scalable uh uh, infrastructure. Uh, and, and then you have Web3, which, you know, I, I haven't been listening to or reading as much about. Uh, but Web3, this latest iteration of architecture uh, with, uh, again, a nuanced, uh, updated uh, version of tools and systems inside of this architecture. So, so to me, new architecture just means new possibilities. So for like web three naysayers or like people that are saying, why are venture capitalists putting money into web three? I bet they're all regretting their investments, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to them, I would say new architecture certainly brings valuable innovation into the marketplace. And so I wouldn't naysay web three or at least web three as a architecture in the same way that I might naysay the NFT market or uh, or the digital asset market. And, and the, the thing that still blows my mind about uh, digital assets is that people think it's a way to replace the central banking system. Uh, but may, maybe that's another conversation. Maybe I need to maybe I need to monologue on web3 and uh, uh, digital currency and central banking later this week or next week. But for, for venture capital entities that are making investments into Web3, to, to the naysayers, uh, new architecture means new possibilities. So I'm sure there are some funds that are going to find a strategy to allocate into startups that will be on the next wave of the internet, right? I don't doubt that for a moment. Uh, I've heard like different theories on how allocations may be affected by this current environment. Like maybe people don't allocate into financial or excuse me, like sector categories, maybe like new categories emerge. Uh, It's not sector. It's like, like if I invest in defense tech or biotech, or deep tech or life sciences. One theory I've heard is that those categories could go away and maybe people will invest in a broad set of technology startups that focus on specific sectors. So like there's probably a range of uh, flavors of technologies that all target insurance companies. So maybe a new investment strategy that might emerge for venture capitalists is targeting uh, sectors and all the technologies or all of the relevant technologies that sell into that sector. You know, because there are sectors that are growing. 
look at aerospace and defense. I'm pretty sure at the beginning of the year, the federal government issued 725 or $750 billion into aerospace and defense in the United States. And, and then what, just two weeks ago, added another $40 billion to that. That's a shitload of money. And you have countries increasing their defense spend around the globe, as I mentioned earlier. So defense is heading north of $2 trillion. So if you're starving at your cryptocurrency uh, company, uh, take a breath. Maybe do a little bit of a reset. And then, I don't know, take a look at aerospace and defense. There's other sectors that seem to be booming. Like, I don't, I don't know that financial services or fintech is going anywhere. And then what about markets that have room for growth or um, could potentially see new pops or new value creation? Uh, like, just on a basic level, like Ghana or Nigeria, or what about technologies that are just starting to hit the wave where they're commercially viable for a broader part of the team that has been underserved historically? Like, like a startup can declare their team, but there's only a percentage of that team that they'll be able to access at any given moment within reason. Maybe Web3 architecture or uh, shifts in tastes and preferences or changes in management or operations or like, like maybe these shifts will open up new parts of the team uh, for new players to provide solutions to. Totally possible. Uh, you know, but there's so much uh, analysis and hyperbole and advice. Operate your company, the way that you operate it. And, and if you fail, you fail. If you succeed, you succeed. For me, I look at uh, uh, go-to-market or uh, scalability of uh, a startup in a more of a realist sense, like a self-interested sense. Business should make decisions in the interest of self, especially in what um, would be categorized as a very unpredictable, unpredictable environment for decision making. But what 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 was Sequoia talking about when they said uh, the macroeconomic environment and provided this new really sexy excuse for uh, fund managers and uh, startup operators to uh, uh, cite their underperformance, uh, you know, with the two multi-syllable words so that it sounds sexy instead of uh, shitty, like what it actually probably indicates. Uh, what were they talking about? Like, what is this macroeconomic environment? Are we talking about like post, like the longest bull run in American history? Uh, COVID, the pandemic? You know, are we talking about uh, war and uncertainty in Russia and Ukraine? Are we talking about fiscal or monetary policy, inflation, uh, a very weird labor market with millions of unfilled positions and, and yet still low unemployment, uh, an erratic president, 
the Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, what is the macroeconomic environment? I, I saw I, I saw SoftBank has been making significant cuts to the amount of capital that it's willing to deploy. And I'm, I'm assuming they're doing some kind of uh, fire sale uh, to sell off underperforming assets uh, as an effort to hopefully return cash to their balance sheet. But since when was SoftBank, Vision Fund, or SoftBank in general, Matsuyoshi-san, since when was he or that organization in Japan the pinnacle of investing? To me, their investment strategy has always been fucked. And now they're in an environment where there is no more money to throw around. And so they're having to adjust. Uh, Are they having to adjust because of the environment? Or are they adjusting because they're bad managers? I think uh, that's an open question. Maybe they're just bad managers and the market caught up to them. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, regardless of the macroeconomic environment, there seems to always be capital constraints that are placed on businesses. If you're a small gas station, there's only so much you can borrow. Depends on how your operation is set up, your personal credit, your personal assets. There's always so much you can borrow in any environment. Maybe now you can borrow less, or maybe the amount of people that will be able to borrow will shrink. But just because people can't raise equity investments or access the debt markets doesn't mean they can't still return to some of the fundamental principles of operating businesses in reality. So maybe this reality check is the most positive thing that uh, could happen. And uh, maybe there's still a future of uh, abundance and newness on the other side of this environment. But who knows how long these conditions will last. If they last for an extended period of time, then good operators and uh, fund managers will make adjustments. Uh, If it's short-lived, I'm sure people will pay attention to that, even though I I don't know that to be the case. Uh, I'm of the opinion that we're at the very beginning of a war that could last for multiple years. And I I don't think the war is going to slow down. I think it'll have waves of quietness in terms of the media attention. Uh, but but there are also other conflicts uh, in other parts of the world. And, and who knows if new conflicts will emerge in areas where there are other advanced economies. I have no way to tell. It's, it's, it seems like even though there are firms that have frozen hiring, like it seems like there are still firms that are hiring and uh, uh, there's always cycles of waves of layoffs. I I was employed in 2008 and uh, I remember there was a job fair at the corporation I was working at and 1400 people showed up for the job fair. And I think unemployment was at its height. We were at the tail end of George Bush's final term. Obama was running for his uh, first term seeking election. 
And uh, that was a tough market. I saw a whole bunch of my good friends, parents get blown out financially. And I, I remember how many unfinished pieces of real estate existed uh, to varying degrees around the country. God, I remember people were talking about San Francisco like it was a barren wasteland in 2008, 9, 10, 11. So, so, so the, these cycles happen. I just wonder why people get so emotionally vested in the cycle, assuming that the, a downturn is not inevitable at some point. So if we have ups and downs and we chart these ups and downs across, uh, say, 30 years, can we just draw a line through and try to meet uh, that line where it's at instead of uh, playing with these uh, extreme highs and extreme lows and then being surprised when uh, the market adjusts? Like, why does everyone always get so surprised? I think that's the most mind-boggling thing to me is that you know that some type of uh, structural adjustment or uh, some kinds of headwinds or, you know, different threats are persistent. Threats are persistent in the business environment. So if we know there are persistent threats and, uh, you know, some threats escalate, some threats are mitigated, uh, then why do we always get surprised when, uh, you know, these downturns happen? And what, what is even the reality of this current downturn? I, I think that's another open question. You know, is, is, is this downturn, What does the floor look like? Do we know? And, and then who's going to hit the floor? Not everyone's going to hit the floor. There's people that are going to floors. There's um, companies, there's sectors, there's ideas that are going to flourish. So, so which do we focus on? To, to me, I feel like being even tempered and, uh, riding those waves uh, and then riding the downturns and using that as a moment to refine one's thinking on business or management or operations. I think that's a better approach than getting manic on either side. And I think there's a lot of people out there right now that are manic and, and tons of layman analysis. Jeez. Uh, and then Anybody can be a venture capitalist, it seems, these days. Uh, you've got people that call themselves venture capitalists and they don't even have a fund. How does that work? Uh, and some of those people are the loudest. Uh, but what are they trying to say, I guess? And is, that, is there any signal there or is it purely noise? So to me, there's just too much noise around venture capital right now. And uh, it's driven by uh, what I would say is just panic. I, I think the, uh, the, the high, highly skilled managers or the, the more mature managers or the managers that have uh, been in business for multiple decades are, I would hope, or I, I would assume, 
are maybe a little bit more prepared for what's to come. But, but again, it, it's uncertain. So it's like, how do you uh, give yourself time or stamina to write these conditions out until they improve or, or you find an opening? I don't know. So the, those are just some of my thoughts on venture capital. Uh, I have a lot more to say, but we're almost at 30 minutes. But uh, if you're still listening right now, don't forget I included links where you can subscribe to this uh, recording or this podcast on your favorite podcast app, Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, Stitcher. So feel free to subscribe there as well. Uh but definitely tune in here on Subset because I, uh, I, I am going to continue to publish some writing. So thanks for listening.